Hey, movie daters, this is Kristen. And in honor of the Oscars, we're releasing some special content this week for a bonus movie date. First, a reminder of the picks that Rafer and I made for who's going to win the Oscars. This was from the day when the Oscar nominations were announced. Second, a series of interviews that I produced for The Takeaway, hosted by John Hockenberry, with real people who are intimately attached to the Oscar-nominated pictures, and you'll see how. So stay tuned for a very special movie date bonus. Let's get some Oscars up in here. Yes, let's do some Oscar business. So here are the leaders. Here's how it's breaking down. In the lead, 10 nominations apiece, American Hustle, which I expected, and Gravity, which I did not quite expect, although uh, I do think that's mostly tech. No, no, behind best picture, hello, best actor, best director. You're not seeing it in, you know, you're not seeing it all, you're not seeing it all over in like all the acting categories. I know what you're saying, but I I think the reason it wound up with 10 is because you've got visual effects and sound and things like that, which is a little less the case with American Hustle. Um, Anyway. Trailing behind those two with nine nominee, uh, nominations is 12 Years a Slave. And then third place, you've got uh, three films tied for third place, six nominations apiece, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, and Nebraska. So that's the lead. Let's um, let's talk about snubs a little bit here. Yeah, let's talk about snubs because there were a few. There were a few that I think, I think a lot of people were probably surprised by the actor in a leading role. So – what we have as our nominations are Bruce Stern for Nebraska, Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 Years a Slave, Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers, Christian Bale for American Hustle, and Leo DiCaprio for The Wolf of Wall Street. Now, Ray, for a few weeks ago on this podcast, you made a prediction of who would get the nominations. Indeed. You predicted Tom Hanks and Robert Redford would get nominations. They're nowhere on this they list. They are nowhere on this list. I did not think that Christian Bale or Leonardo DiCaprio would be on this list, and yet there they are. I'm uh, glad that Christian Bale got a nomination, though. I think I told you recently that I thought that he was terrific in America. Oh, he's Hustle. great. No, he's, totally he's, transforms himself in this role. He's totally great, and and I, I want to say that I was not um, – personally, I never really thought that either – Redford or Hanks were were would have been if I if I if, it, if the nominations were mine to choose I would not have put Hanks or uh, Redford in there I just thought for sure they would show up but surprisingly no um, who else do you well, think got snubbed I think in the lead uh, categories again for acting for actress I think a lot of people are surprised um, here are the nominees for actress in a leading role Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine as expected Sandra Bullock for Gravity Judy Dench for Philomena Meryl Streep for August Osage County and Amy Adams for American Hustle. Now, I think that a lot of people were surprised that Emma Thompson didn't get a nomination for that. No, Emma Thompson. Yeah, for... um, uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah, and then some people thought Julia Louis-Dreyfus should have gotten a nomination. I um, heard that, but that seemed like a long shot to me. Yeah, that was that was a very said. yeah mm-hmm. small indie film um, and kind of a, kind of a light comedy drama. I'm not I'm not surprised that she was not in there. You know who I would have loved to have gotten a nomination? Who? Melissa McCarthy from The Heat. From The Heat. <laughs> I know you're laughing at me. But I, you my know, look, gosh. I you love know, every, that movie. You know, movie, I loved it. Yeah, and every movie she's 
end, she just kind of steals the whole show. She's I, so I agree. good. Remember in um, Bridesmaids? She yes. She the heart and soul of that movie. I loved her in Identity Thief. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> a movie I didn't like, but I love her. Yeah, I always she was great. Her. Yeah, she's great. So I was kind of hoping that there would be some sort of surprise nomination like Melissa McCarthy, even though I knew it was unlikely. I think in that category, um, you know, who's to say who took what from whom? But uh, looking at it, it, it appears that Meryl Streep took that away from Emma, from Emma Thompson. Ooh, how dare you ever speak ill catty. of Meryl Streep. So catty. And what a terrible, <laughs> terrible film August Osage <laughs> County was. Uh, but right. yeah, there you go. Those are the snubs. And of, and of course, also, um, nothing for Oprah Winfrey. No, nothing for Oprah Winfrey. And I, I'm going to say also, I kind of, I consider this a snub. I don't know if anyone else does. I think Sarah Paulson should have gotten a nomination for 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. She played one of the most complex roles on the screen this year, I think, of any of the roles for women. There weren't a lot of good roles for women, but... There weren't. There weren't this year. But she was playing such a complex character. You're playing the slave owner's wife. You're witnessing brutality. You kind of hate your life. Right. Your husband is in love with one of the slaves. Right. You're violently angry all the time. You're manipulative. Plus, you have sympathy, but not that much sympathy. And I just felt like she did an amazing job playing a character that we don't normally see that character at all and definitely not played like the way she's played. I just... I really wanted her to get a nomination. I was um, a little yeah. sad to see she didn't get one. She was good, and I would have said for my, for my own uh, my own personal snub that I I, I feel was was wrongly left out was um, David Oyelowo in The Butler. Uh, I thought uh, I would have I would have oh, nominated him son. for yeah I would have nominated him for supporting actor. I I really feel like that movie would have been completely worthless without him and um, without his without his character, who's kind of an invented character. And I thought he just was fantastic in that role. I thought he was so good, even though I did, I did not like the movie at all. But he was amazing. I would have nominated him. Mm, wow, those but are our snubs. Sadly, no. Uh, and yeah. and, and um, but there were a couple of uh, one surprise that I think uh, in this in the, in the uh, supporting uh, actor category that I was very glad to see was Jonah Hill for yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, you really wanted him. He is now a twice-nominated twice, uh, Oscar guy. Whoever would have thought watching Superbad that this young man <laughs> would go on to such great heights. I know, and, he, and I got to say, I think he deserves it. He is the best thing about the Wolf of Wall Street. He is so weird and funny and um, vulnerable and interesting. I just, every time he was on the screen, I would just crack up. He was such a such a a strange and real character to me in that film. Mm, well, I still haven't seen it yet. Oh, you never went and saw it? Oh, yeah. I'm I going to were, see no, it. I was going to see it Christmas, but they were it. sold out. Well, it's three hours. You're not going to see that movie. Oh, God. I have to. I'm a film critic. I know. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's too late now. The Oscar nominations are already done. Forget it. Don't go see it. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> All right. Do you want to make a couple of predictions? Do you want to predict who you think will win for lead actor? Yeah. Okay. So I am predicting because... I want it to be the case. I think Matthew McConaughey for uh, Dallas Buyers. I really want it to be the case. I, I want it to be it. the case too, and I think, I think he's going to get that. I think, I think with I, I, I wasn't sure, but now that the Globe has come in for him, I think that really boosts his profile, and it makes me think that maybe he really does have a chance of getting that. And yeah. I, I really and he hope he does. Also won the Critics Choice Award. He's won. He's oh, won yes. a lot of awards. So yes. Um, any other predictions you want to make? Um. I will go for uh, for lead actress. Oh I think. come on, that's a gimme. Though. I know it's we a gimme. I'm just saying. Kate Blanchett. I know there's it's going to be Kate Blanchett. I know. I know it. Yeah, I know she's it. nominated and she wins. And there's really and there's really. I think this is kind of what what you were saying though. Um, 
the competition, even though you've got these major names in there, the competition is kind of slim. The ro- the roles yeah. are slim ones, it's right? Such crap roles for women. Yeah, this year. Sandra Bullock, and you year. know the, the Judy Dench role was good in, in Philomena, but I don't think that's really Oscar quality. The, no one really liked August Osage County, no matter what they say. And then <laughs> uh, Amy Adams for American Hustle. I, Amy Adams would be, I think. Kate Blanchett's closest competitor there, but I, I just, I think Kate Blanchett's got it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And, uh, God, yeah. You know what, Hollywood? Have better roles for women. Okay? <laughs> Look, I hear you. You know what? I'm going to give them some advice that Gina Davis, do you know she has this Institute for Gender and Media? And she has two tips, which I think Hollywood just needs to start doing. One, when you're doing your script writing, change half the names to women's names. Okay. Just change half the names. You sure, know, sure. You can have it all be Tom and Jeff and Bradley, and then in the end, just like take all the Bradleys and turn them into Bonnies. And take all the, <laughs> you know, whatever. Okay. And then the other thing she says is that for all crowd scenes, crowd scenes are only 17% female across films. 17%. That's interesting. And she said even that can really skew the world, you know, huh. even if it's a big crowd scene. And she says all casting call directors should say, the scene must be 50% women. Interesting. Yeah. It would just change a lot of things. Interesting. Yeah. So go Gina Davis Institute. Yeah. All right. Well, all good. Right. Good. Which, uh, uh, so, all right. So give us uh, give us your prediction for supporting actress. Um, so supporting actress. Kind of a tough one. It's a tough one, but I think that it's probably going to go to Jennifer Lawrence. She's Again. the sweetheart right now. Again. You Everyone think it is. Her. Yeah. She's the sweetheart. I would love Lapita Nyong'o to get it. Me too. I would love her to get that for 12 years, but you know. She's she's just not getting it this year. No, I think they you're just, right. You know, they just keep on giving it to Jennifer Lawrence over and over again. Yep, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, right. What about actor in a supporting role? Also a gimme. I think that's going to go to Jared Leto. As for, well, uh, he deserves well, it. As well it yeah. should. Although, uh, you know, again, it's a it's a great category. Um, Bradley Cooper was great in American Hustle. I thought Michael Fassbender was really good um, in 12 Years a Slave. And I, and I loved Barkhad Abdi in Captain Phillips. He was yes, great. The guy was great. <laughs> I, know you did, I know you were not a fan. But I think Jared Leto's going to get that, and I think he totally deserves it. Um, so, best director? Oh, you know I don't care about this category. Oh, but... <laughs> come on. Just give us your prediction. Just pick a name. Pick All a right. name. We have Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity, Steve McQueen for 12 years. We have Alexander Payne for Nebraska. We have David O. Russell for American Hustle, Martin Scorsese for Wolf of Wall Street. Steve McQueen's going to get it. Steve McQueen is probably uh, – actually, I don't think Steve McQueen is going to get it. I think Alfonso Cuaron is going to get that. Interesting. I think it's going to be one of the first years in a while where they split the difference between – Best Picture and Best Director. I think Quaron will get it for Director uh, for Gravity. But I think Best Picture will go to 12 Years a Slave. Interesting. I think 12 Years is going to get the directing. And if it doesn't get Best Picture, American Hustle will get it. I think that's that's clear, but I think it's going to go to Twelve Years a Slave. All right. I think I think uh, American Hustle will win all the all the all the juicy acting awards and such. Um, it will probably win for uh, original screenplay, and um, but I think I think you're right. I think Twelve Years a Slave will get Best Picture. All right. Well, we'll reconvene in a few weeks and see who's right and who's wrong. We'll see what happens on March second. And now, some very special interviews hosted by John Hockenberry of The Takeaway with three people who are very intimately connected with three of this year's Oscar-nominated Best Pictures. Now, here's a reality moment we dream of on Oscar night. And the Oscar for Best Picture goes to... 
Dallas Buyers Club. Here to accept the award is William Wayborn. I want to thank a lot of people who died making this movie. I mean, there, there were so many people who are not alive today that would love to see this kind of a movie being made. I lost all of our friends in that time frame. For some people, it was just bad luck, and for others, it's a tragedy. William Wayborn will not be accepting an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club this year, but he's still rooting for the film because he lived the real story that the movie is based on back in the 1980s when he was president of the Dallas Gay Alliance. And Ron Woodruff, the main character in Dallas Buyers Club, was a volunteer there and received services through the center's AIDS clinic. All this week, Oscar-nominated films and the real stories behind them told by some of the folks who definitely weren't actors when they lived this history. From Real People, Best Pictures. That's what we're calling this series. They got good meds out of Mexico. It's better than what you can get here in the States. This is protein, totally non-toxic. And you can't buy this in the USA? I proved. You could be making a fortune off of this. That's Matthew McConaughey playing Ron Woodruff in Dallas Buyers Club, all about a drug-selling scam to get critical medicine to AIDS patients. William Weber knew Ron Woodruff well and certainly remembers those days. There were buyers clubs all over the country. Uh, those times we did what we could to bring in drugs because a lot of drugs were considered experimental. And while they were readily available overseas, they weren't available in the United States or were considered illegal. So what Ron did is he sort of monetized it to be able to make money off of it. And no one begrudged him of that. But the Dallas Buyers Club was really just one of many clubs around the country. We also imported drugs through our own clinic by using flight attendants to bring in uh, new experimental drugs that were already in use overseas, but still illegal in the U.S. So Ron is this entrepreneur, Ron Woodruff, played by Matthew McConaughey, is this entrepreneur, (laughs) homophobe, (laughs) chauvinistic, kind of a racist cowboy who puts it all together. Is that how you understood uh, Ron Woodruff? Well, certainly not for the period of time that I knew Ron. Ron worked in our center, which was a gay center. It was run by gay people. He was a uh, patient of our clinic, which was a gay clinic. Now, true, there weren't a lot of other places to go for treatments, but he, you know, he was very much immersed into the gay life into Dallas at that time. And, you know, no, at that time, people passed for straight for lots of different reasons. And this movie is taken from an interview with Ron in the morning news. And the irony of it is, is that people, you know, were not going to come out in the Dallas morning news in the 80s. So I think that what they've done is now they sort of twisted the character to fit a stereotype. And unfortunately, I think it does not serve the purpose well. They really didn't have to create this character. He, he was a very compelling person. There's no question about it. But he was also very, very sick. You don't go out and ride bulls when you're that sick. And so, you know, he did a lot of things. But there were a lot of people in the same situation who were doing that. Fortunately, Ron got this interview in the paper, and that's what the basis for the movie is. But again, I think that they've tried to twist him into something that he really wasn't. You know, is part of your point here that Hollywood, even today, needs a hero in uh, portraying the AIDS crisis and that from your perspective, we really should be past that, that we don't need to clean up or heroize 
the victims and the people who suffered so greatly uh, when this uh, scourge was at its peak? Absolutely. The movie is not a bad movie, but it really only focuses on this individual and what was going on in you know, Dallas at that time. But it's really not a very accurate portrayal of the times. You know, we had four or five funerals a week. You didn't go out and party. You went home and learned how to hank IV poles. It wasn't a pleasant time. And unfortunately, I think the movie sort of glosses over that so that they could create this hero and make him into something that, you know, again, he was a he was a renegade and he certainly brought drugs in the U.S., but he wasn't the only one. There were a lot of people who were doing the same thing. Nevertheless, do you think the movie does uh, bring some positive attention to an experience that might that most Americans might be completely unaware of? Oh, absolutely. Most people under 40 don't even know there was an AIDS crisis endemic of AIDS in the world. So it represents a time when people were really sick and that they died from a lot of opportunistic infections. And in the early days of AIDS and gay activism, we thought that any media portrayal was good because it forced people to talk about it. And I think that's what the movie does. It forces people to not only acknowledge that this existed, but to talk about it. And while it may be controversial, it still requires someone to talk to their kids about it at night. And are you rooting for this movie to win an Oscar? It's nominated for six. Absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, it's a good movie. And both McConaughey and Jared Leto deserve all kinds of recognition for their awards. And I hope that they recognize the individuals who they're portraying. But, you know, losing weight won't get you an Academy Award. (laughs) So what do you win if this movie does take home a lot of gold? I think we all get to talk about the movie. And that's a very important process as long as we can continue to talk about AIDS and gays, I think that, you know, the world has to recognize that this is a problem still and that individuals are still suffering because of it. William Wayborn was the president of the Dallas Gay Alliance in the 1980s, which served the gay community and people living with AIDS. Ron Woodruff was a volunteer there. He received services through the center's clinic. And Ron Woodruff, of course, is the central character in the movie Dallas Buyers Club. William, thanks so much. Thank you. Ah, the dream of getting the chance to accept one of the coveted Academy Awards. And the Oscar goes to American Hustle. Here to accept the award is Gregory Wallens. I want to thank everybody involved in making the movie for the opportunity to go back and to revisit where I got to participate in this historic case and have a front row seat at a major, major political corruption trial that I think ultimately did a lot of good by demonstrating that you can't have a democracy if public officials who are running it, who are entrusted with, you know, representing the public, are corrupt. Gregory Wallens will not be accepting any awards for the film American Hustle. Like some of the other people we've been talking to this Oscar week, he was a part of the real events that inspired the film sting operation to nab members of Congress taking bribes back in the 1980s using a fake Arab sheikh and an operation codenamed Abscam is both portrayed and over-the-top satirized in American Hustle. Here are actors Christian Bale and Jeremy Renner. I I believe that you should treat people the way that you want to be treated. Didn't Jesus say that? Amen. I think also always take 
for favor over money. I think Jesus said that as well. I don't know if he said the second one, but he might have said the first one. <laughs> and here is Gregory Wallens once again, not an actor, but a member of the prosecution team as an assistant United States attorney. He says the film got a lot wrong, but his story of being there confirmed once again why from real people like prosecutor Greg Wallens come some of the best pictures in Hollywood. I was just a couple of years out of law school. I had just joined the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn. And after I had done two or three trials, I was assigned to work on the biggest political corruption investigation of Congress, certainly in American history. And it was a thrill. And this brought it all back. That's what was great about the movie for me. Now, because part of our mission here is to figure out what's true and what's not. And Hollywood can do what it wants. And, you know, we love them for that. But was there the same kind of tension in the FBI and the investigators office and the Fed offices about whether this approach was legit or not in going after these lawmakers? To some degree, there was. And Abscam was controversial because it used uh, an investigative technique, a sting operation, in which FBI agents and a convicted con man, Mel Weinberg, that was the Christian Bale character, were making up a story. The story was, we represent a wealthy sheik in the Middle East, and he wants to invest money in the United States, but he wants to know that government officials are lined up to support the investment, and he's willing to spend whatever that takes, and... He also wants to be assured that he can, given the turmoil in the Middle East, get a visa, get permanent resident status, in fact, to come and live in the United States to avoid that turmoil. And again, money is no object. And so this, that's the felony. That's that, the outline of the felony. Yeah. And, and so like every sting operation, they needed a ruse and that was the ruse. And, and that was shown in the movie. And because it, it began as a, as a very low-level FBI operation out of Hopog, Long Island, just to recover stolen art and securities, but then, particularly when they encountered Mayor Angelo Arichetti of Camden, that was the character played by Jeremy Renner, and he started putting them in touch with congressmen and a senator, all of a sudden, the dimension of the case, the stakes changed, and... There was disagreement among prosecutors over whether the sting operation went too far, used uh, improper, unconstitutional methods. And certainly when it all became public and the defendants had to assert their defenses, they all screamed, this was outrageous, this was entrapment, and so on. At the end of the day, and this wasn't shown in the movie, at least not directly, at the end of the day, every jury returned a conviction the Jeremy Renner character that you just described is really played as a victim, as someone whose career and whose connection with the poor people of Camden was destroyed because of some federal investigators who wanted to notch their belt with some congressmen and some senators. Do you buy that? No. And John, don't misunderstand me. I, I don't begrudge anyone in Hollywood artistic license, but that portrayal was not a reflection of the real-life Angelo Arichetti. He was not only prepared to pay bribes or facilitate the payment of bribes to casino commissioners, he gave the undercover operatives a list of officials, both in New Jersey and elsewhere, who he said were willing to sell their offices for cash. He was interested in doing counterfeiting. He was talking about turning the port of Camden into a narcotics entry port. 
What about the idea that the Christian Bale character actually pulls one over on the feds? Did that really happen? There were allegations made that the real-life Mel Weinberg skimmed off some of the bribe money. He got it back, some of it from Eric Hedy. He got gifts that were supposed to go to the Sheik, and he kept it himself. That microwave scene was based right. on an right. allegation. He denied those allegations. I don't think there was anything conclusive that ever emerged, and that's what the movie was was working with. But what Mel Weinberg was, and it was shown to some extent in the movie, he was absolutely vital to this sting operation because he could create, in a way that no FBI agent could, the illusion of a thoroughly corrupt character himself, and he had that history as a con man that he was working with. He was deft at saving the investigation from its own mistakes. At one point early in the case, there was a meeting with one of the Middle East Arab sheiks who was played in the, in the sting operation, was, was an FBI agent. And for some reason, the FBI agents ordered to the meeting with this Arab sheik and some sort of underworld types, Jewish deli food. And, you know, Weinberg, somebody may say, well, wait a minute, why would a sheik want Jewish deli food? Weinberg didn't even wait for that. He, he stepped in and he said when the, when the corned beef arrived, he said, you know, he loves this stuff, but he can't eat it when he's in the Middle East. So whenever he comes to New York, he eats as much as he can. And these guys bought it. And what Mel Weinberg understood, and this was where the real life and the movie kind of intersects, because the theme of the movie was we're all conning ourselves. We're not just conning each other. We're conning ourselves. And what he understood was that, particularly with the corrupt people who are out there, the businessmen, the politicians, once they start to believe that there's money you know, available to them, then almost nothing will stop them. You rooting for the Oscar? Oh, or? yeah. I hope. Look, I, I'm tied up in this. I, I was really just thrilled to see the movie. Gregory Wallens, uh, thanks so much. Thank you, John. Really, really appreciate this. Gregory Wallens was a member of the ABSCAM prosecution team as an assistant U.S. attorney. American Hustle is nominated for 10 Oscars. Here's another moment to dream about during the upcoming Academy Awards ceremony. And the Oscar goes to 12 Years a Slave. Here to accept the award is Clayton Adams. Thank you, Steve McQueen, Chiwetel Lupita, the entire cast, Michael, everybody, for being able to bring my great-great-great-grandfather's story to life to be able to educate the entire world. His perseverance, his love, his faith has been handed down from generation to generation, and I just want Solomon Northup to be proud of his descendants as we are of him. Clayton Adams there will not be accepting any awards for the film 12 Years a Slave. He had no part in the Hollywood production. Instead, he carries the history behind the film in his blood. He is the great-great-great-grandson of Solomon Northup, who wrote the book the film is based on, 12 Years a Slave, about his experience of going from being a free man with a family, a noted violinist from Saratoga Springs, New York, to being abducted and forced into slavery back in the mid-1800s and then regaining his freedom 12 years later. Days ago, I was with my family in my home. Now you tell me all is lost. Tell no one who I am. That's the way to survive. 
but I don't want to survive. I want to live. Our series, From Real People, The Best Pictures, this week is examining some of the true-life characters behind some of the Oscar-nominated movies. Clayton Adams learned he was the great-great-great-grandson of a famous slave when he was just a rowdy teenager. I was getting ready to go to college, uh, just finishing up my high school years, and my mother came across the book that was given to her by her mother, Victoria, and I read the book twice, but the second time really understanding that this is a part of my blood, and with that in mind, it truly brought me to tears at the end of the book. And there's two issues. One, the just the horror that is recounted in that story. And then number two, the idea that it is so rare for an African-American man to be able to trace their history back as far as you can. That is correct because as an African-American, it has always been hard because of the slave industry to be able to trace back our history. It was truly a missing piece in, in my life that was finally the puzzle was finally put together. So it was, it was amazing. What's it like sitting in the theater watching those images, watching that film? <laughs> well, I saw the movie uh, three times. It, it took me three times just to be able to stay to the end to actually see the ending. Now, when you say it took you three times to see the movie, is that because it was too upsetting to stay to the end of it because of the of, images? Of course. Of of course. I, I mean, I, as I stated before, I've read the book, and the book is obviously detailed, and it's different when you have the visual as compared to your imagination. It kind of makes it even more real. Just a normal, everyday slave life on a cotton plantation. Normal, everyday slave life. Isn't that crazy thought? That is <laughs> man. A thought American. I would thought I would never say yeah. with a with a straight face. No but kidding. I mean, that was just the reality of that time, unfortunately, in American history. How did seeing the film change your sense of the history that you carry? What responsibility you have in your life to Solomon Northup? My mother told me at a, at a teenage years and after I read the book, I made a promise to myself that for any future um, children that I have, I will make sure that they know about their history, their ancestry at a, at a younger age than I. And I taken my daughters back to Saratoga Springs, New York, where in July 1999, I'll tell you exact date, the 24th, Saturday, was the first annual Solomon Northup Day, a celebration of freedom. And we had over 40 descendants of Solomon Northup that came from all over, even from Louisiana. And as far as California, my grandmother, Victoria, flew all the way from Los Angeles at the age of 90 years old to attend this event that honored her great-grandfather. You know, uh, he was a violinist, Solomon was, right? Yes, he was, and, indeed. Uh, but for this horrible abduction and imprisonment for 12 years, uh, he might and his descendants might have been violinists and string players playing at uh, Tanglewood, which is a concert facility not far from uh, Saratoga Springs, a place where the best in the world play music. 
Wow. Have you ever thought of that? I never even knew of that. I would have to look into that. I know my daughter, uh, Charisma Adams, she has been taking up the violin. She's in eighth grade now uh, for the last four years. I taught her about Solomon Northup at the age of four, five years old. So when she got the opportunity in fourth grade to choose what instrument she wanted to play, and she picked the violin because she wanted to make her a grandfather proud. So are you rooting for a statue? Of course. (laughs) What do you win if the movie wins, do you think? I have already won just being able, as I stated before, one of the fortunate African Americans to be able to trace their history back all the way to the 1800s. I mean, that right there is, is great for me. But having Solomon Northup's story, which was left out of American history, not just African American history, but American history for going on 200 years now, I mean, that in itself is pride enough that his story is finally being told worldwide. It's already been bigger than any statue. And I just wish that uh, my grandma Victoria lived long enough to be able to see this. But I know she's in heaven now with Solomon and they're just having an exciting time together. Clayton Adams, great-great-great-grandson of Solomon Northup, the author of the memoir and subject of the film, 12 Years a Slave, nominated for nine Oscars, including Best Picture. Thanks so much for listening, Movie Daters. This has been a very special bonus Movie Date podcast. If you want more Movie Date Oscar coverage, be sure to follow me and Rafer on Twitter, at Rafer Guzman and at Kristen Meinzer. And happy Oscars, everyone. 